I have a lot of comics I want to read for this podcast to do back to the library. So I went ahead and returned it because they like quarantine it for four days before they put it back. So I went ahead and reordered it today because <laughs> I'm anticipating a full on lockdown. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like stock up on comics, get as many comics as possible. It's an embarrassment of riches, Roman. Like this podcast. This podcast is an embarrassment of riches. Or just an embarrassment. to start making comics well if you're anything like me probably nothing because i'm lazy and chaotic but if you're anybody else i guess you'd just start making comics yeah no shit sherlock but what would you do if you were in the cia and you saw some shit uh get a psychologist and then start making comics about the shit that you saw but can't really talk about under penalty of federal prosecution so Maybe then you'd just create thinly veiled narratives about the PTSD-like trauma you faced while in the theater of war. I think that's redundant, Ryan. I don't think it's redundant. What part's redundant? No, I mean, you said PTSD trauma. That stands for post-traumatic stress disorder I said PTSD, trauma. I said PTSD-like trauma, but okay, that's you. redundant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. <laughs> and we're still two dudes who have never served nor likely ever will serve in the field of battle. As I've got delicate hands, but my fingers are like weapons on a keyboard. You and me both, brother. So <laughs> this week, we're talking about 2018's Mr. Miracle by Hugo Award-winning writer and ex-CIA officer Tom King and artist Mitch Gerards. It's the same team behind The Sheriff of Babylon. Mr. Miracle is an ambitious new take on one of Jack Kirby's most beloved new gods and his dysfunctional family. This will actually be the first in a series of QTD episodes where we talk about some of the more subversive takes on some of DC Comics' greatest heroes. So while I don't know if I'd call Mr. Miracle one of the greatest, he is one of the coolest and coolest costumes. Mr. Miracle is about Scott Free, the son of the High Father, a capital G God good guy figure who rules over New Genesis. To make the peace in an all-out war amongst gods of good and evil, Scott is traded at birth with the High Father's opposite, the stone-cold evil that is Darkseid of Apocalypse. Darkseid is... Darkseid is what? A ripoff of Thanos. <laughs> well, yes. So anyway, Scott Free is... I, I, well, who came first? I think Darkseid came before Thanos, because Darkseid Wait. was Jack Kirby. Yeah, but he invented him later in his career. Hold on. Dark side first appearance. Let's just put this to bed because I thought Thanos came first. Who came Thanos first? Thanos was Th Jim Starlin. Thanos was Jim Starlin in the Dark Infinity si Gauntlet. Darkseid's first appearance, uh, according to Google, cameo, November 1970. And first full appearance is February 1971 in the Forever People. Thanos, first appearance. Silver Surfer. Oh, you're right. Thanos. I'm, I'm sorry. Can you say Invincible that again? Iron Man, February 1973. There you go. Okay. So let me just, let me rephrase that then. Darkseid is Thanos' inspiration. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. So anyway, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle. He's traded at birth with the most evil person in the universe. Basically Thanos' inspiration. So he's tortured. 
this kid. And along the way, he becomes a master escape artist. He finds love in the fiery pits of apocalypse. He becomes a superhero, Mr. Miracle, and he moves to Earth to join the Justice League and a really amazing Keith Giffen Justice League run. But he's joined by his love of his life, his wife, Big Barda, and domestic bliss ensues. It's really a pleasant rom-com of a comic. (laughs) Well, this comic is everything but that. So this is some PTSD-laden shit. So, Ryan, what did you think of Mr. Miracle? I really liked it, and I was surprised how much I liked it because I was skeptical of Tom King. I had only read his Omega Men before, and that really, really disappointed me. Everyone said that that was an amazing book, and um, I had a lot of problems with it. And so I was expecting Mr. Miracle to let me down in the same way. But I really, really liked what he did with the character. I like how he depicted the character's, let's just say uh, his difficulties being both like a parent as well as a superhero fighting this intergalactic war. And, And I also liked the twist at the end. I was thinking a lot about like the reality of the situation that's revealed at the end. And I also really like what Tom King did with it. Yeah, I, I I think we were in the beginning of this podcast and we weren't recording as frequently. And I was just getting on this comic book fix. I was like, oh my God, there's so much great stuff I got to read. So I picked this up a few months ago in the heart of the, the pandemic. And it just blew me away on so many levels. And it stood up. I, re- I reread it for, for this recording. There's not a lot that I complain about. The art is beautiful. The story is funny, at times troubling. It reads like a sitcom sometimes. <laughs> like, I just, I don't yeah, know, there's, man. There's, there's actually a really interesting tension here between the comedy and the horror that he sees on Apocalypse. And for a while, I was like, uncertain. Like, how should I take that? Because he's making these jokes, even when he sees like his colleagues, like Big Bear, on his head is on a stake. And they have this strange inner reactions or relationships with their enemies where they're like, they're more like. Well, they're um, like family. They're like family, <laughs> they family, right? They're like family, they but, they're still family. Like, but, they're, but they're also literally murdering each other. So it's, it, it's, so cre- it's, it's like an interesting tension. And I don't know, for some reason that worked for me, because normally I'd think, well, pick one, either treat this like a comedy or treat this like the horror show that it is but i i I don't know i I, i'm trying to figure out why it worked that they juggled like these moments of sitcominess with these moments of guys getting their heads smashed in i think part of the reason they could pull it off easily is one the art the the style lends itself to this dual nature every other page switching tones but also I i thought about this a lot these guys are superheroes they live on earth the main two mr miracle and barda but at the same time, they're new gods. They're otherworldly. They exist in on another, not plane of existence, but different rules apply to them. So it's like in Star Wars, in the prequels, the Jedi just murder people. They straight up murder people, cutting off arms and heads. And it's just, it, it is the way it is. And maybe that's why they can be so cavalier about it and then start like eating from the veggie plate in the next scene. Yeah. You know what actually I think it is? It's like, do you watch a lot of David Lynch? Almost, I've seen a couple. Yeah. Right, it's almost Lynchian, right? Where there's some horrible thing that's happening and then the reaction to it is so weird and bizarre and almost like mundane. And it creates this weird comedy there. And David Lynch, his a lot of his movies are going you know, to take place in this strange dreamscape. 
And I think it's safe to say that the reality of Mr. Miracle is essentially a dreamscape. And so that incongruity between the really serious, violent murders that you're seeing when they're on Apocalypse versus the like quippy back and forth sitcom stuff, it works just given what Tom King is ultimately doing here. This isn't realistic. It's hyper real in a way. What it reminded me of, so let's spoil it. Everybody, if, if you're going to read this, which you should, there is a bit of twist of a twist at the end. And I don't think it will ruin the reading of the book because they set it up even at the beginning with the almost like static TV image that's like every every other page. Mm. Is this whole thing a dream? Is this like a programmed reality, Ryan? Because I'm not clear on that. Oh, I think it's, I think he, I mean, he killed himself. He tried to kill himself. And instead of waking up from it, he's either in a coma or he is dead. And so, so this, this whole this is a dream, this, this whole thing, it's, just, it's essentially a death dream. Yeah. Which he has the opportunity to escape from because there's that moment at the end when he defeats Darkseid and all the heroes come out. And he's like, you can leave now. Hurrah. And he decides to stay because he prefers his life in the dream, which is what I really liked about it because the whole idea of the characters actually in a dream is usually a cheat. And it's also been done before, right? In Star Trek and Rick and Morty in, I just mentioned David Lynch and Mulholland Drive, right? But great. Now I'm never going to watch Mulholland Drive. (laughs) Thanks for ruining it for me. Quarantine comic. I'm sorry. You only guys only had 20 years to do it, but that's conceit works. If, the whole twist isn't just centered around and it was a dream. They do something different with it, which is what Rick and Morty did, which is what Mulholland Drive does. And that's what Tom King does here because he makes the decision, fuck, I like this dream world a lot better. I'm going to stay here. I don't care if it's a dream. Am I? And then there's also this weird dynamic of you don't know what dream it is. Is he in a coma? Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? All of those possibilities come up. And so even though it's revealed at the end, it's essentially a dream. There's a lot of ambiguity around it and and mr miracle's decision at the end actually reveals a lot about his character as well so if it had just been revealed it's a dream and he wakes up from in the hospital bed with his wrists bandaged you'd be like who gives a shit this is dumb but i think tom king takes it to the next level and everything that happened in the dream it pays off right because those stakes all of the dramatic stakes you were invested in it mattered in the end because it all fueled Mr. Miracle's decision to stay under, to stay in that dream world and not leave. I like that because it almost, we were talking about how do they thread the needle of the camp and the high drama. Well, in this like sitcom, like dream reality and the way they communicated, I'm just flipping through like every few pages. And again, the, the panel layout for the most part in this book is three by three panels. It's just, mm. That's pretty much 100% of the book. But every call it 20th panel, you see that like the TV screen blur or flicker. And it's like this programmed reality, whether it's being wired into his brain or it's what he's choosing to believe. It's it makes sense. I mean, why there would be a laugh track with the atrocity, why he can be like straight up murdering people in war and calling his wife about taking care of the baby. And I think that's why, because typically the enemies of the New Gods, Apocalypse, their forces, they're usually just very antagonistic in most comics. And it makes sense here why their relationships are redefined, where it's almost like really comfortable interactions between like abusive family members rather than people who are actively trying to kill each other. Because there is that weird relationship that Mr. Miracle and Barda have with having been raised on Apocalypse themselves and then fighting, and then now they're fighting for the other side. And then also, 
rum into your point about the layout. I think that's really acute. The fact that it's this really very staid grid layout. Uh, the artwork is actually very realistic. And that almost creates a sense of like things are just very, very almost orderly, right? It doesn't look like sometimes you have books that take place in a dream world and the art gets very, very strange and weird and dreamy and abstract. But here it's actually very, very realistic. Yeah, so realistic that they decided as fans of Quarantine Comics before it ever came out to basically do the thing that every great book in Quarantine Comics does. What that is, Ryan? What is that, Roman? It's a live childbirth in a comic book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another Quarantine Comics motif. What is this, the third or the fourth one that we've... I'm starting to lose count, man. <laughs> I'd completely forgotten about it. You started your read of this before I started my reread. And in this miracle, dreamed up reality of Mr. Miracle and Barda, they have kids. They get the war to a stalemate and they decide to have kids. Mm -hmm. And of course, what would be a great comic if you don't actually show the moment of childbirth and everything after? But like, is it something that are like, is it a thing that these writers feel like they have to do? I think we're just we're just lucky. We just grab. We've just been like pulling books, like Miracle Man, Luther Arkwright. It just so happens that they have moments of childbirth in them, which is. We should just change our theme song to "Lightning Crashes" by Live. <laughs> by the way, I, I want to speaking of Mister Miracle and Barda together. One thing I actually really liked about the depiction of Barda is that she's actually physically huge. She's bigger than Mr. Miracle. And she's bigger than pretty much everybody else. And I, I feel like in a lot of depictions of Big Barda, she's actually not that big. She's petite. So I really like that decision of creating two people who are just you know, such different shapes and sizes together. Another quick note, which I never, I've always knew, you can ask me like any superhero's name and I can tell you their secret identity. So I've always knew Mr. Miracle was scot-free. I never got the pun built into his name until I read this the second time. <laughs> because the story of Mr. Miracle, again, he was the son of the good guy God. And to put a truce to a war, he was given to the bad guy God, Darkseid, and immediately put in like these torture pits as a kid. And he's always trying to escape. It's where he learned his escape artistry. And he never he was never given a name. But because he gets away scot-free, that's why they named him that. And I was just like, I mean, did you that? Did you realize that years ago? Yeah, because his whole power was like escaping, so he gets away scot free. So, all right, I mean, I'm, every... I'm just dumb. <laughs> Sorry. Actually, despite how you know ridiculous a lot of those characters, I, I've always had actually had trouble with the New Gods. I my first exposure to them, I think I was reading a, like a Superman comic, and it was uh, oh, I forgot. It was Jack. It was actually illustrated by Jack Kirby, and. I don't know. I've had trouble with the new gods the same way I've reason I've had trouble with like Guardians of the Galaxy and Silver Surfer. It's just that I don't relate particularly well to all this cosmic shit that happens. Like, who cares who wins the intergalactic war? It just feels so abstracted from human experience. Because the Earth keeps spinning. Yeah. 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 And it's just like it's just like this made up fantasy that has no no bearing on what happens on Earth. And the characters are just so cosmic. They don't even feel human. But one of the things I loved about this version of Mr. Miracle is that Big Barna and Mr. Miracle are both extremely human. Their relationship is really the core of this book, and it's the engine that drives this book. Their relationship with each other, and then later their relationship with their child as parents, which kicks off the final action. 
And that's one of the reasons why I actually really enjoyed Mr. Miracle. And they also embrace the absurdity of who they are. Like when Scott Free, Mr. Miracle is signing Big Barda into the hospital. He said, first name Big, last name Barda. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But so it's like this combination of the mundane, signing yourself into the hospital with the absurd. The woman's name is just (laughs) Big Barda. Even some of the sequences in the scenes of them sitting these like larger than life characters or her siblings there for the childbirth sitting in the waiting room with all the other schmoes right right okay so the furies showing up in the waiting room right there her sworn enemies her former sisters now sworn enemies these are like these women who kick the shit out of wonder woman and all that stuff and now they're like sitting in the waiting room i mean again it's that it's that combination of just taking these Really insanely dressed characters. That's the other thing about the Furies. They have the, the weirdest costumes um, and the most outlandish costumes. And he, he puts them in this really boring hospital setting. It's, again, that dichotomy. I use the word dichotomy unironically. I'm sorry about that. That I really that I really appreciated. And it runs throughout this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, even the supporting characters just had a not a, I don't want to call it a depth because you didn't spend a lot of time with most people. I mean, other than Light Ray, who just constantly gets the shit kicked out of him between Light Ray, their foil and their babysitter slash agent. These are these are fully realized characters. And again, not fully realized in the sense that they have their own arcs. It's just. Even in all the ridiculousness, while they are comic relief, they feel real, you know, yeah, and yeah. It, it just, again, so the, so the setting, the table setting, the settings, the characters around the main two, even like when they're out to eat and someone asks for a selfie with them and it, it just feels like it would feel if these two people did exist in a world, what their agent yeah. would be like. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there, right? They feel real. And the new gods in previous iterations that I read of them, where they usually show up really as supporting characters, have never felt real before but even on a new genesis right they're interacting with orion they're interacting with light ray you do get a sense of their distinct personalities in the comics light ray is just a generic superhero who has no personality in here he's actually like a he's the asshole yes secretary man. he's the yeah. asshole secretary he's a he's a yes man he's annoying actually and i i think tom king does a really good job of he doesn't give light ray a, a lot of screen time or panel time but what like what he does give light ray is enough to really suggest this character and then same with orion i mean normally he's just like this insane psychopath who's who's an asshole but here there's a little bit more nuance to it where he's this guy who's assuming command of you know his late father's kingdom and he's being a little bit authoritarian over about it and I, I again i thought that was a really cool take on orion another thing the artwork lends itself to is the brutality like the, the realistic nature the brutality of them being injured them being tired mm. them making love like them going to the hospital for committing suicide for going into childbirth it this it's not hyper realistic it's not like alex ross it's clearly drawn like a comic book but it's drawn with some such a sensitivity and a care that i don't know it it really just drew me in even though it's the classic three by three panels well i mean there's a lot of there's 
there's a lot of attention to human detail, whether it's Scott Free nursing his baby or whether it's him embracing Big Barda. There's a lot of attention to. Yeah, I, I was. We were just. I was just talking about. I really liked how these different characters related to each other and how the person, how Tom King sketched in their personalities, in the brief time that he he gave some some of them, and a lot of that has to do with the art as well. You see how the characters relate to each other a lot in their body postures, in the way they talk to each other, in the way they touch each other. It's really really subtle, but really really cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are other subtleties they do, be it the apartment layout. <laughs> mm. I don't know if you caught this, but after he comes back from the hospital, every time Scott Free is in a scene as Scott Free, not Mr. Miracle, he's in a different comic book t-shirt of all of his former Justice yeah. League teammates, which is great. Actually, that's actually an interesting... Do the... In this world, in this world where Mr. Miracle lives... Does Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and Flash and Wonder Woman exist as any? Yeah, he goes out. He goes out drink. He goes out drinking with Booster Gold. And, oh, and, you're uh, right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, it was. I wasn't sure because well, no, here's what I say in, in this dream. In this dream reality, I, there is reference to the League. I feel like, but in this dream reality, if that's what this whole book is, the only two people he chooses to interact with from modern superheroism, other than his T-shirts, are. His two buddies from the Justice League International, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, his yeah. drinking buddy. I forgot. There was this like line where he says, after he's given the option to wake up, and I'm paraphrasing, I, I might be misremembering it also, where he says, there was this world where Superman and Batman were actually real characters. So it led me to believe that in this dream world, they are just characters of, they are just fictional characters. But, huh. Yeah, I'm not, it's not like, it's not, honestly, it's not, it doesn't substantially change the way you read the book at all. It was just like a minor world building detail that I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure quite how to, how to take it. But again, not, not a huge. Yeah, you know, it, and it chooses, thing. it chooses not to enter the DC universe continuity. I think that if anything, it was just one nod to, if he was going to go have a drink with two guys, who would it be? Do you, I question though, do you, what's, what's the status of Mr. Miracle these days in current DC continuity? And I know that's a loaded question because it changes no, all the time. No idea. No idea. I mean, the last time I saw him, I don't, I haven't read real DC comics for a while. It's worth shifting gears. Like I, we've said this a lot. I don't care about yeah. modern day superhero comics. I don't mind de- towing the waters every once in a while, but I prefer either new and unique stories about characters that have nothing to do with vast fictional universes or subversive takes on characters that might've existed. And I think DC, what they've done better than Marvel is they've given the keys to the car to different writers to go do different things with them over the years. Yeah. Mark Millar in red sun and everything they've done under elseworlds, Batman white Knight, which is a take on police brutality, Green Lantern Far Sector, which does leverage the Green Lantern mythos and everything involved in the, in that science, but talk about racism. So I don't care what Mr. Miracle yeah. does in the mainstream DC universe. And to that point, this is actually almost a standalone story. I mean, you, this doesn't have to be about Mr. Miracle. You could create any cosmic lore, create any character. This is actually very much a standalone story. 
but 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 the fact the beauty of using existing characters is you don't have to spend any time on world building. There, there's something pre-established that you just assume already works. Dark side, yeah, apocalypse, uh, all that stuff. But I would, you know, I I would I would guess I'm not sure, but if you aren't familiar with the new gods and the lore, and honestly, who the hell is? I think this book would still not work. Andy Pinky. That's who. Yeah, I, th- I totally think this book would still would still work if you have no idea who Mr. Miracle is or who the new gods are or who Big Barda is or any of that shit. I'm, honestly, because the backstory between Apocalypse and New Genesis is just not that interesting. It's just the typical two alien races trying to beat each other up. But I, at the at the end of the day, it's actually a very it's a very personal story about a guy who has built this life and doesn't really want to to leave it behind even when he he knows it's it's not real yeah but i i don't disagree with that but the gimmick that makes this comic probably sell 30 percent of its volume is it's a character that and here's a yeah. weird and interesting take on it so like i think if tom king just made a thing with this made and to be clear we've seen people like alan moore and others do that i mean the boys is a fantastic example but it's an allegory of something in the pop culture that everyone knows what the Justice League is. You you might not know the ins and outs, but you pretty much know who Superman and Wonder Woman are, right? Oh, when yeah. you go watch the boys. And so for this, though, most people, to your point, don't know who the new gods are. Maybe they saw something on the Justice League cartoon, but the fanboys and girls, they do, right? They they get the setup. And so that's why this it makes this subversive and more interesting. You thought you were coming for just a really great Mr. Miracle story, and what you got was a really great story. That just happens to be on the backdrop of Mr. Miracle with the world yeah, building and all that. No, I totally agree. Like there's a lot more weight you can put to these characters when they are familiar or vaguely familiar. And I do like this, you know, notion of taking these putting these fresh takes on oftentimes are tertiary characters. Like Warren Ellis does Marvel gets Warren Ellis to do this a lot, right? They had him do Moon Knight. They had him do Karnak, who are not neither of them are exactly like like A-listers, right? Marvel characters. And he did put the difference. The, and actually, you know, we can also say Grant Morrison, right? With new X-Men. The difference. Yeah, the X-Men, no, no one really follows the X-Men. You're right. The difficulty though is, is sticking with it because once you make these big changes that really come from the unique vision of the creator, it's hard to hand it off to another creator and say, okay, continue this, this vision. So. Wait, but with DC, what, I actually, I, I might take this back in a second, but what DC doesn't seem to care about, either in the movies or in these kind of, frankly, their most critically acclaimed things, going all the way back to The Dark Knight Returns, is they don't give a shit about continuity. Like every time DC tries to give a shit about continuity, that's when it just gets weak versus yeah. just go and tell a great story. Fuck the continuity. Just stay in the mythos of the character. Maybe they're interconnected, but don't try to be the MCU. You don't need to do that. Yeah, that actually works for in favor of the DC universe and also against it. As you mentioned, when they do try to install continuity, it is a mess. But it does get them give them a lot of leeway to play with their characters, either through an Elseworlds world style miniseries that it has no part in the greater continuity, or in something like Mister Miracle, where again it feels self contained. Versus when Marvel tries to do it, like with New X Men, they don't really stick it out. They have to retcon everything, or with Karnak, it's really just almost if or the Moon Knight, it almost just feels like an appetizer. Like he's like 
Warren Ellis just kind of has a basic idea that he's throwing out there and it doesn't really come together as a cohesive story. I don't know where I'm going with that. It just feels like a difference between the way DC plays around with its characters versus the way Marvel Marvel's, does. A, Marvel's a little too precious. And and that's okay. Like again, there's room for both approaches and both play to the strengths. Marvel seems to be doing really well with continuity, but they can't go out on a stretch as much as DC seems to allow creators to do. I mean, they literally created Elseworlds yeah. A long time ago. And they let Frank Miller do Dark Knight Returns and they've done Batman Beyond. And DC just wants to tell good stories with the mythos with these kind of mythic characters versus Marvel wants to build a reality. Yeah. So the, Marvel went there with the Ultimate Universe. And we were talking about Ultimate Spider Man. But ben no, does- not, they didn't. Here's why because they built another, they wanted to build another continuity. I read almost everything in the Ultimate Universe, and it was, here's an alternate universe, here's another sandbox. Not, here's a really good Avengers story, here's a really oh, good okay. Spider-Man story. They had to tie Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Avengers, Ultimate Spider-Man, they had to tie all of that stuff together, and versus just telling really fucking good Spider-Man stories, which are I what would say, Spider-Man is. I I I I... I when ultimate when the ultimate universe started out it did feel a little bit more independent right with the ultimates with ultimate spider-man with ultimate x-men and then it felt later on it definitely became its own universe its own consolidated universe everyone was crossing over and that's when it started to feel a lot weaker to me and honestly that's when i stopped reading it because the initial i remember the initial take on peter parker ultimate peter parker was phenomenal and i really loved mark millar's version of the avengers with the ultimates i thought that was just i thought it was gripping and unique and he took a lot of what we knew from the original avengers and just like took it to the nth degree from tony stark's alcoholism to the domestic abuse storyline between hank pym and janet and how that ultimately played out and then it became just standard superhero fare and that so it, it to me yes i agree with what you're saying but i was definitely more towards the end of that of that run i feel yeah. like we just we gave we gave our we gave people like a double feature we started out with mr miracle and then we went to like the ultimate universe in marvel <laughs> <laughs> i mean as much as i really actually do want to reread all of ultimate spider-man we're not doing that on this podcast i'd much rather go do something like and i've alluded to this subversive takes on either b-list or a-list characters be it moon moon knight and karnak were both amazing runs worth reading but so are green arrow and white knight and far sector even superman's pal jimmy olsen i'd rather read the weird shit ryan you've changed me i've changed you Ramin. so ryan i gotta ask what are we reading next week so you know that cliche where batman's villains are really just reflections of batman himself Next week, we're going to take a look at the book where it all started. Grant Morrison's Batman Arkham Asylum. Take Batman, take away all of the self-confidence that makes him a badass, add some mommy issues, add some Alice in Wonderland, a big haunted house, and, well, you get the picture. But Morrison's Arkham Asylum was and is incredibly influential within the Batman mythos. It has a huge role in how the asylum, where Batman's enemies are constantly housed, was depicted in the Batman books going forward, and its representation of the Joker was a major influence in Heath Ledger's Oscar-winning portrayal. And personally, I've always liked the Gotham elements of Batman, and it's kind of a surprise to me that more writers haven't played that aspect up. So that's next week on Quarantine Comics. I, I don't hold me to this, but I don't think there's a live childbirth in it. And that's our show. Like what you heard? 
please be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Got a suggestion? Shoot us a note. QTVcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old, and frankly, that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.